0: Would you want your sister to marry one of them? The trouble with all of that is that it is a generality. It's for dummies. You got to tell me which sister, which one of them? Otherwise, how the hell can it make any sense? Who, one of them? Who, which one, of? if I I talk to the head of the Ku Klux Klan and say you're a handsome man and you're married, you're good-looking, you got everything cooking for you, right, but you're not married. I'm going to give you a choice, own free will, marry this chick or this chick, right? This chick has this bread, this season. same amount of bread, same ages, free will, but marry one of them. You can marry a black woman or a white woman. Which woman do you marry? Not your sister, you specific. Kiss her, hug her, sleep in this single bed on hot nights with a black, black woman, or 15 years with a white, white woman. Make it choice between that black, black woman the white, white woman, because the white woman is Kate Smith. The black woman is Lena Horne And if I give you a sister the choice Between a Charles Lawton and a Harry Belafonte You're into the toilet <laughs> And if you say, well, a Harry Belafonte Isn't a very good thing or He's sort of an au fait with a tan He's been assimilated And so on, he won I'll come up with 12 million for you I'll come up with 12 million black is 12 million, black, black, Sydney Portieres. Your sister has to choose between quack. kiss him on the mouth, that Sidney Portier, opposed to kissing Tony Galento, that grubber fressel with a... <laughs> and your sister, yeah. Hmm. Okay, this relates to good taste and bad taste. There is none, as there is no right or wrong.
1: Welcome to another episode of Z-List Radio. This is Ro Hurley, and with me is my co-host, Chris Otto. Hello, Chris. Hey, Bro. So, today we have a really special guest. Um, his name is Joe Goosey. He w- started out as a stand-up comedian. He's now a psychologist-therapist um, oh. in the central United States. He's written, I think, at least nine books that I that I have found, Um Notorious books of his are *The Tragic Clowns* and analysis of the short lives of John Belushi, Lenny Bruce, and Chris Farley. Another interesting book that he wrote was *Forever 27*, the psychological profile of Kurt Cobain, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and Jim Morrison. Welcome to the show, Joe. Hey. Hey. Thanks. So. So um. So you started out as a stand-up comedian, didn't you?
2: I did. Yes, I did. I moved to Chicago uh, to do that. A lot of improv as well.
1: Yeah. Um so so you kind of fit into the tragic clown um genre then pretty well being a comedian yeah, but, and a psychiatrist or a psychologist.
2: Yeah, I, I'd say so. I mean, I you know, I I kind of touched on that in that book. It's like I had a lot of the same patterns these guys did and when and so I was a comedian in Chicago for a while. When 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 Chris died, it was really sort of why I decided to become a psychologist. It was just it was a bit of a wake up call. But yeah, but yeah, I do uh, have some background, personally, on that subject.
1: So were you? I mean, were you um, a self destructive comedian like like Chris Farley or Lenny Bruce or John Belushi or even John Candy? I mean, he didn't die of an overdose, but he still was self destructive.
2: Right. Well, I mean, I, you know, the thing is, I think I was going in that direction. You know, I mean, I just. You moved to Chicago, and and it, that's sort of the the tradition. It's, all those guys just meant big. You know, I'm a big Irish guy, and and that's sort of the mold for for that uh, that that in Chicago here. And that's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to be. You know, and didn't really think about the consequences, but uh, you know, just jumped in with both feet when I moved here. And you know, like I say, when Chris died, that that was what, like, man, I I don't know that it's worth dying young. So that was sort of what what my story was. Right.
3: Were you a were you a road comedian, or did you pretty much stay around the Chicagoland area?
2: And mainly in Chicago, you know. It's just there's really it's, a, it's such a funny city, and there's just so much comedy to do around Chicago. I did, you know, I did dabble around the Midwest a, a bit when traveling with shows and stuff, but mainly in Chicago.
1: Um, so do you do you think that the their sad lives bred? The comedy, like, do people use comedy as a shield to hide their hurt? Their hurt inside.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you look at the patterns of these guys, it, they, it, it, there's almost always a story where there was sort of there was something strange about him as a kid. Whether it be overweight, uh, Belushi's case, he was uh, Albanian in, in the city of Wheaton, which is this real kind of creepy, footloose town, and uh, and it, it was so you start making fun of yourself before the other kids have a chance to do that. And it sticks. It sticks to the wall. You know. You learn. You get attention. You get you get validation from doing that. And it's just the pattern is real tough to shake once it starts.
1: Right. So now you they used you. Um, they had an A and E biography um, about about a lot of was it about numerous comedians? I know you went on and talked about John Belushi.
2: Uh, yeah, I did. in Farley. I did those two. I did a couple. A little bit about Phil Hartman. Uh, yeah, there was. I think there was maybe. I want to say nine, uh Bill Hicks, Sam Kennison, um, Richard Pryor, there was yeah, there was there was some others.
1: What do you think? Do you do you know who Artie Lang is?
2: I do, yeah. Yeah. Do you
1: do you know his story, his heroin addiction and his, his obesity, um, his extremities in eating? Do you have any background on him?
2: Yeah, yeah, I know I know about him. I uh yeah, I've seen some of the websites dedicated to guessing when he's he's gonna die and so forth. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's a funny guy, man. But he definitely has some of those I mean, you know, it, it's you, you almost see a guy self-destructing, and it's funny. And when people are funny, you don't you don't call on this stuff a lot of times. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's you know.
1: Now, is there a way out of that quagmire for someone like like a comedian in like say Lenny Bruce or John Belushi or or Audie Lang for the future? Is there any any way for them any out for them?
2: You know, there was a couple... Of, you know, a good example is Bill Murray, I think. And I, here's what I find fascinating about about him, is that that sadness they have, it, it makes them great, serious actors. You know, like, I love his serious movies. Steve Martin has some of that same thing going on. And uh, as they get older, if they can sort of... They, you know, like, something sort of changes about that, their, their style. And so those guys did get out, but... I, I don't know because the problem is you go to therapy and you're not funny anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean. So sort of yeah. the thing that the, the thing that's making you self-destructive is the thing that's making you funny too. You know.
1: Right. I can you know I can totally agree with that. I used to write comedy and and yeah. when I'm really happy in my life, it's really hard to come out with with hilarious um, lines. They come out kind of. Right like sarah silverman or something kind of you know kind of boring which leads me to why why do you think um in comedy there aren't any other than maybe joan rivers there aren't any really respected female comedians and and honestly um i don't i can't recall any time that i've ever laughed you know deeply over a female comedian why is that
2: Well, I mean, I think you can really, you know, people also ask the question, why do men die six years younger than than women do? I think think it's relevant to your question because uh, I think just women are just better at solving sort of emotional problems just because they just do better in relationships a lot of times. They're they're more able to talk about what's bothering them, whereas men, it might come out through drinking or through Mm. fighting or something, something a little more self-destructive where depression's not what it looks like, you know?
1: So maybe it's because people love a train wreck more more than not. So, like, I'd rather see a train wreck than than someone cruising along.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, it sort of makes you feel better about your own life. I mean, I think a lot of whether people wanted admit it or not about Chris Farley's man, we were kind of laughing at that guy. I mean, you right, know, what I mean, it was right. it was sad, but I mean, it was, it was just it, he was really, really funny. But right? we were laughing at something that was kind of it was kind of mean, you know? Right. A follow-up question.
3: Uh, the reason I asked you about road comedy is because right. Artie's pretty much... His only defense of his, of his drug abuse and everything is just how bad it is on the road. And Bill Hicks, he complained, he used to complain all the time about the road. So I was wondering if you thought that might factor into it as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, that was definitely a huge part of, of Belushi's thing, too, is like the drugs keep you up, you know what I mean? And, and if you don't have your edge, you know what I mean? You, you just aren't funny. You really have to be... You have to sell it every single time you go on stage. And if you're half assing and people know, you know, it's just they don't... It's just they pick up on it almost immediately. And So, yeah, I, I get that. I mean, it makes sense. It's, I guess the same thing happens with musicians, you know? I mean, coming down is just awful. And there's only one way back up, and it's the thing that got you in trouble in the first place, you know? So it's a, it's a pretty vicious cycle.
1: Right. Now, is that is that the common ground that these guys share, is that the musicians and the comedians and is the is the depression and the and the cyclical behavior
2: yeah. I mean, I think that at least the guys that I've studied is there's definitely this huge sort of bipolar tendencies. Like, you know, when you're on, you, you're, it's, it's, it's the most thrilling sort of validation you could ever get, you know what I mean? But it's not, it's really just a snapshot of your life, you know? It's, and when you have to go back to sort of your own internal world, it's something crashes there, you know, you're not getting that constant sort of validation. And, uh, and so you hide, you hide by drinking or doing drugs. Right.
1: Um. So now back now back to Lenny Bruce. I used to be fascinated by Lenny Bruce. Um. I've I've read his book How to Talk Dirty and Influence People, and I loved his that cartoon he did. Was it Thank You, Mask Man? I believe. <laughs> and uh, which was really funny. I mean, really, uh, before its time in a way. Um, but then towards the end, he he just lost his mind. I think and. And started reading his court documents yeah. instead of doing his stand-up, didn't he? Right. Yeah, so he did. Was that because he was so doped out, or did he did he just lose his mind? I mean, what happened to Lenny Bruce?
2: Well, I mean, I he yeah he got very bitter at the end. I mean, it, it, his story is re- you, you said the right words, totally fascinating because he had this you know, kind of break her down, His mom was this really sort of bimbo comedian, and they were more like best buds. He almost married her best friend. And he just despised his dad. So he said, "What his dad? Is, what his dad represented to him was authority, rules, structure." So really, when you think about what he was on stage doing, in a lot of ways, he was he was he was literally sort of communicating with with his dad. And so, when, when the rules beat him, you know what I mean? It's like he couldn't perform, he couldn't make money because yeah. of these obscenity charges. So you can you can really think about it like him wailing against rules and authority, and like that was sort of what made him funny, you know and so I, that fit to me when I sort of got into
3: that. Now, now you brought up his dad. Um, one of Artie Artie lying basically has two excuses for his behavior, if you want to call them excuses, justification, rationalization. Um, one is the road, and then the other is his father's death. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last rehab that he, or the last relapse that he just had, happened on the anniversary of his father's death.
2: Right. Yeah, I did read that. Yeah. Yeah. So you, uh, yeah,
3: go ahead. So do you find that as like a common theme that kind of runs through this, that father issues do have a lot to do with the drug abuse?
2: Uh, yeah, definitely. I've definitely found that to be really, really common. Uh, it's it's sort of like, you know, trying to get attention so bad, and if you got to turn the volume to 1,000 to get the world's attention, you know, like you can see where it starts usually with some kind of, you, you can find a piece in childhood that works you know with Belushi it, it fits perfectly Farley's dad was sort of a large and a life kind of guy um, it, it, it fits perfectly and I've seen it almost I've seen it many many times and, and there's sort of a cultural piece to it too uh, the, the Irish piece was huge for Farley the Albanian piece was huge for you know it's just like that sort of stern kind of, kind of thing and so yeah it, it makes sense to me yeah so it's it- almost
3: like daddy look at me
2: exactly yeah
1: What other, are there other comedians? um, Now, I think we keep referring to Artie because he's, he's a prime example of a comedian that's probably going to die young. If, if everything goes at the continued rate that it's going, are there other comedians that are alive right now that you think could fall into this?
2: Well, I mean, you look, I mean, if you'd be stuck in (laughs) and getting to know these guys, you know, like their, their relationships aren't always solid. You know what I mean? It's, uh, uh, some of the guys in Hollywood, but like particularly this young generation of female actresses are just train wrecks, like Tara Reid type of girls. And even uh, uh like uh Owen Wilson and uh and uh no, what's his partner's name? Vince Vaughn. You see them around a lot. you see Vince around Chicago here a lot in particular and he seems to have a little bit of that Peter Pan thing going on, but um in terms of the stand up, i mean I guess I don't see anything Absolutely uh, on a collision course like like the guys we've been talking about, but you definitely see a lot of trouble in their in their backgrounds when you start digging a little deeper.
4: Yeah,
1: what about Natasha Leone? Do you know who she is?
2: Uh, am not, not that familiar with her. No,
1: she's an actress. She was in the American Pie movies. Um, really cute girl, but she's um she's done so much heroin. She now has like hepatitis C. I think she's twenty nine years old. Um, and was evicted from her apartment in New York and such. So I, I can kind of see her going that route. But she's not a comedian. She's an actress.
3: <laughs> right, right.
1: But um, go ahead, Chris.
3: As far as uh, comedians, uh, Dennis Leary was kind of going that path. Luckily, he got famous and got his own TV shows and things like that. But I can kind of see him following. Well, a lot of people say he totally ripped off Bill Hicks. But uh, I could kind of see him following that exact pathway would you
2: agree yeah yeah even the show Rescue me you sort of look at his it, life in some in some ways you know and uh, it it's it's a good question i i do think that uh uh you know, he's definitely got a lot of that Irish pattern too. And that's, that's, that's one thing I like to write about as a cultural piece because in these families, no one talks about, it. you know what I mean? It just becomes this ma- massive elephant in the room. And, you know, you, you have people with these kind of severe alcohol problems, but it's just sort of just not something anyone ever talks about, you know? And, uh, and it sort of fits with that, with that guy thing anyway, you know, but uh, yeah, I think he's a good, Steve Buscemi was the same way. Uh, there was a movie Trees Lounge about his life that was real fascinating. He oh, was man. a daily, daily boozer, you know. So yeah, I think you're I'd right. love to
1: see that movie. I need it's
3: to a see great that.
2: Great movie.
1: Is it okay? I got to see that. Now let, let's move on to the to the music aspect of it. And Forever Twenty Seven is is twenty seven years old. Do you think that's like an age of reckoning for some people? Like it's grow up or or stay young forever, or what? What is what is so magical about that age?
2: It's a good question. I mean, I think that, you know, you get to a point, you know, like there's sort of, at least particularly here in Chicago anyway, there's there's sort of a rite of passage where you, you get out of college and then you kind of have a second college experience in your mid-20s. You know, you do the whole, you get a little disposable income when you drink after work. But, you know, you start getting 30 for a lot of people. or You get you start thinking about it. And then you start thinking about a family and, you know, what the next the next thing is in your life. But mm-hmm. for these guys, the, the sort of arrested development happens where, they just cannot move on to that next phase of their lives, you know, and uh, so uh, there's, there is a, there's such a thing as big numbers. I do believe in that. That's something that's sort of been demonstrated in psychology. It's like it was real clear with blues and probably be in 33, but but 27 seems to be the number for musicians.
1: Right. Um, yeah, now it's, it's so coincidental that they all, I mean, they were all so epic, but they all died at that same age, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain. Um. So, do you think subconsciously they they off themselves?
2: Yeah, you, you know that's, that's a good question. I mean, you know, you, you really you really think about the difference between sort of passive suicide and active suicide. Like mm-hmm. Janice, in particular, you know, it's. It, it, I mean, every single thing about her, uh, to her core, was on a sort of suicidal mission. You know what I mean? Like. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it wasn't you know, totally in her immediate awareness, it just she just had this this massive sense of inferiority and she, it, I mean like it was so psychologically distressful to be her that the heroin, sex, just, I mean it, it was constant and relentless, so I, I think I, I think, yeah, I would call that a form of suicide. Yeah. It's almost like
3: die young and leave a good, good looking corpse
2: Yeah, yeah, and Jim Morrison definitely had that pattern too you know, he's kind of afraid of getting old, afraid of not becoming relevant, uh, you know. Absolutely.
1: Now, did you um what did you, what do you think of those Kurt Cobain conspiracy theories?
2: You know, I was I was having this discussion with somebody on, online the other day and they, you know, I I it, it's sort of amazing what happens is that you can make evidence say what you want to say when you don't want to believe something. You know what right. I mean? It happens right. it happens a lot, you know, and and, and you look at his patterns and you look like that's what made sense to me when you actually dig into what that guy's psychological world was really like suicide makes perfect sense right. it, it really does it's not like he was some happy-go-lucky guy that just had a bad couple days or something you know
1: Yeah, and i think i think um... people like to when when someone dies and especially dies young i think people like to blame someone for it and yeah. i think it helped people get get beyond, oh, my hero killed himself by blaming Courtney Love or blaming his parents or whoever they wanted to blame. I think Courtney took the brunt of all the,
3: the accusations. I just don't see how anybody could think Courtney Love could pull off anything close to that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's, that's probably all it needs to be yeah, said. Right <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's funny. But um, <laughs> but yeah, did you know, when you, when you researched these books, did you talk to their families, like John Belushi's family or Kurt Cobain's family, Jimi Hendrix.
2: Um, Those two, I did. I did not uh, speak with anybody from Jimi Hendrix's family. They're a little, t- they're a little protective of his story, just because some strange things have gone on with his estate after he's been dead. Paul Allen, you know, one of Microsoft's guys, sort of took over his the uh, rights to his. Uh, it's it's kind of a strange story, but uh, yeah. so so they're a little tight-lipped. But I did talk to uh, you know I'm from. Uh, the, uh, Washington State originally, so I had a little. I had a little connection to some of the people in Cobain's life, so yeah, I did in that case. And yeah. Lucy and Farley.
1: Oh, okay. now I uh, I actually know Jimmy's brother Leon.
2: He, oh, okay, um, yeah.
1: He, here's the connection with him. He um, my friend Henry Hill, you know from Goodfellas. Um, yeah, yeah. He's in a. He started a band, and and Leon is playing guitar for him now. So that's kind of a. But he's really good. I mean, he's he's not a left hander like Kendricks, but. He's awesome.
2: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: But, um, so, so did you talk to Janice Joplin's family?
2: Uh, I did not. I just, I I absolutely devoured everything that was out there about her. Um, her sister has been, as, you know, has definitely done a lot of sort of work after her death about trying to talk about addictions and stuff. So, uh, but, but no, I didn't actually talk to them myself.
1: Oh, okay. And now Jim Morrison had some, um, controversy surrounding him weren't they saying I mean the the rumor with him was like kind of the Elvis thing like he faked his death and was living in Paris or something like that
2: right right
1: did he actually overdose or was it a heart attack
2: um you know that, that gets to be sort of a, I mean i i i thought I, I read it was an overdose uh was my best research, but it might have been an overdose that caused a heart attack mm-hmm. uh, but yeah. but he was getting very overweight you know he was he had uh, he'd gained a lot of he was just looking real real rough at the end of his life so
1: and the drugs had probably taken quite a toll on his on his heart
4: absolutely yeah,
3: you know, absolutely. especially if he was
1: shooting up i mean you get endocarditis or whatever um
3: and what a horrible way to die, too.
1: Man. What, in a yeah. bathtub?
3: Yeah, just in the bathroom in general.
1: Oh, like I mean- Elvis? Didn't Elvis die on the toilet?
3: Yeah, yeah he
2: did, about. yeah.
1: <laughs> but did you see a picture of his toilet? It was like a lazy boy, and he had a TV in there. I mean, I could see dying on that toilet.
2: <laughs> that's <laughs> better than my living room, yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly.
3: I don't care if it has an LCD display. I, I, I don't want to die on the toilet.
1: <laughs> I know. You just don't want that legacy, you know.
3: Right. <laughs> or like,
1: poor Lisa. You're dead in the toilet, you know. But he was young, too. He was, what, 40, wasn't he?
2: I think he was 42. 42. Oh, That's about-
1: young. Yeah, Elvis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and his was like a prolonged use of, of prescription drugs, wasn't it?
2: yeah he had the pattern perfectly get up get down you know what i mean yeah. like you get you get up for the show and then you got to come down so yeah he fit he perfectly with all that yeah
1: and then in between he'd eat like a fried banana sandwich or something <laughs> <laughs> you know what was it, banana and peanut butter or whatever but,
2: uh,
1: so now your other books i i'm looking down the list of your books and it and you reference joseph campbell's hero's journey quite a bit can you explain to us what that is
2: yeah, I mean, that's, you know, really, this, is, this, this subject became so fascinating to me. Like, really, almost every core American movie has the same exact steps. I mean, it's really fascinating if you actually look at it, but this is based on this really old story uh, called The Hero's Journey. that Joseph Campbell probably has done more to sort of bring to uh, pop culture than anybody, but it's just sort of like, a, if you look at the steps of somebody's life, they basically have sort of a road of trials where they fall on their ass for a while. There's usually a significant other that's very important there's usually uh one one uh of the steps is called atonement with the father there's some um, there's some coming back to a family after leaving them um and then there's sort of like that hypothesis that moment where where your life sort of crystallizes into the in the sort of one defining moment and um and if you look at these people's stories they all seem to fit as that 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 path. So to me, that just became so fascinating. So I ended up really exploring how it fit in, in people's lives like Oprah and Barack Obama and Lance Armstrong and so forth.
3: That leads me to another question. What is it about Chicago? Is it, is it the water? I mean, if you look, Second City TV, all the musicians, half Jan- a Saturday Night Live.
1: Jan Terry.
3: Oprah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you mentioned Jan Terry. <laughs> I, I, I loved her- it. <laughs> I'm oddly fascinated by her. By her, just creepy. <laughs> she oh, was, she those, is the most
1: that one video when she's in the limousine. Oh goblin. my god, it's so funny. I love. Dan I, Terry. I post
2: that on. I post that on Facebook every Halloween, and, and people are always morbidly <laughs> fascinated by. It. But
3: would you yeah. say it was the makeup of the city? Is it in the water? I mean, what is it that so many successful people come out of Chicago and? a lot of them happen to have destructive behavior. I mean, Kanye West is from Chicago, and look what he did. Right? <laughs> is, is it in the
2: water or what? I think it's a good question. That's something I have thought about. I, I, I think that the people here all have, well, for one thing, the, 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 the mix of the ethnicities is really interesting, and then you also have, people got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. You know, it's just sort of like that, you know, you can think of that that side accent guy that's getting pissed off at somebody for taking too long in line or something, and and you, you you put all these different groups in this in this little place, and you get these fascinating sort of arguments and beefs and, and petty behavior. But there's something really really funny about it, and and I think that that might just living in the city, you sort of absorb some of that, you know.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of that comes out of New York too. Yeah, so absolutely, yeah. Like ca- Catcher in the Rye, you know that kind of thing.
3: Right. And, and most most arguments in Chicago end with Ditka, right?
2: <laughs> he's, right. He's, <laughs> he's definitely like he's magnetic North here, for sure.
1: <laughs> so now now let's let's go back to Jan Terry for a second. Now, have you uh, is she still around?
2: She is. Yeah. It's, what is she? It's so funny bringing this up because I was just like posting all her videos. Um, she. Uh, you know it was funny because Marilyn Manson had her play at his birthday I don't know if you heard that yeah I read about
1: that that was
4: funny <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah but I mean it, 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 she sort of like got a little bit of falling on the on the internet uh, she's still in one of those Chicago suburbs her dad owns a bar uh, but she's almost she almost thinks of herself like a like a retired diva kind of you know like she had her she had her sort of uh, brush with fame and now she's uh you know, living a good life kind of thing.
1: Oh, but she, it's like she sang those songs so badly and with all her heart, you know? I mean, you could tell her whole soul was into it. Even though she couldn't <laughs> dance, she didn't look good. It was just fascinating. Yeah. She made her own videos. I heard she was a limo driver. That's, is that Yeah, heard? he was
2: in, the. I think he was in Baby Blues or <laughs> one of the uh, videos.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: I, it's hard to believe.
3: It, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say real quick, speaking of bad music, has any, either of you heard, Any of Yoko Ono's new album? No. (laughs) I recommend you go on YouTube and check it out. It's it's something to behold.
2: There's something about it so bad that it's good that I always enjoy So I will definitely uh, I'll check that out.
1: Yeah. But she's got enough money. She she can stop with the albums now, I think, you know. <laughs> so so now you, we started touching on your um on the book that you wrote about the hero's journey with Barack and Lance and Oprah. Can you can you continue on that like how how is how is Barack's story um, in contemporary American culture um, how is that a hero's journey?
2: Well, I mean, his story really fits perfectly. I mean, in, in, in a way, like like his issues with his dad, you know, like just just like we were talking about with Sonny Bruce there, um, his issues with his dad. He had built his dad up into such a um, uh, just this incredible sort of human being that he never met and never got to spend time with. And when he met him, it, it it wasn't what he thought it was. But I mean, you can see how, in a way, his whole life story is in some kind of reaction to to pleasing this sort of mythical figure that he's always heard about in Africa, you know, and, uh, and it, it, it look, looked at him like that. It's sort of fascinating, you know, because he did stumble and stagger and experiment with drugs and was an angry, pissed off militant for a while. And, he, you know, he, he definitely did sort of go through the, the stages when you look at it. M- Michelle was such a centering, grounding force in his life. Um, so it all really fit.
3: Sure, and also with his family, with his brothers Because one thing I noticed that uh, during his inauguration speech Or actually, not his inauguration speech But the speech that he gave when he actually won the election He thanked his father, he thanked his mother And then he thanked two of his brothers And then he said, and my other brothers He didn't use their name And I thought that was real telling So was that part of the picture there?
2: Yeah, I mean it's really interesting. His dad had his dad was like a, like a, like not a good guy, you know. He had all kinds of these splinter fans. He'd have a couple kids with a woman and then move on. And, <laughs> so and it's like uh, my
1: dad. My dad. Was. <laughs> Every year I discover a new sibling. You know, it's so crazy. So so maybe it was that was his catch-all. You know, like because he doesn't know their names or who's going to come out of the woodwork, so he'll just cover them all right. in on one blanket. Or their statement. history. Yeah.
4: <laughs> but I mean, uh...
1: so so. They all fit into this what you were describing as like a movie script, um, basically, and the the hero's journey. Um, Oprah, Rudy Giuliani, right, and and Lance Armstrong. Armstrong, that's right.
0: Yeah.
1: So, um, how now was what was Lance's background? The cancer was it? The cancer that.
2: Yeah, that was a fascinating. Like that man. Here's that story. It's really fascinating because he was he was a good cyclist before he got cancer, but he wasn't a great cyclist. You know what I mean? He wasn't at that. He wasn't the Michael Jordan of cycling cancer. Like that to me is fascinating. Like somehow, whatever energy he channeled to be cancer, strengthened his resolve and his will, to another level, you know, and it also made him a good human being, that, that, was, that was really such a key point, he was kind of a, a selfish ass for most of his life, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. and so, so all those things that happened as a result of cancer were, were, were all the best things that ever happened to him, sort of paradoxically.
1: So so the, the hero's journey is some downfall and then a happy ending, basically,
2: Usually, there's some kind of some kind of return. Like yeah. so, like you know, like you can even think. So I actually wrote wrote one just about every day. People's hero's journey as well, and I, it, it it just like you can think of somebody that maybe leaves home in adolescence or has some kind of falling out with their parents. But usually, at some point in our lives, we reconnect with home. You know, and so that's sort of one of the last stages of the hero's journey. We we find a way. We find our way back, kind of.
1: Yeah. Now, what would be the opposite of that? And who would be an example of someone that lives the opposite of a hero's journey? Maybe like Saddam Hussein or somebody? Well, no. He, he kind of had a hero's journey, I guess, because he came from poverty to become a dictator, but he just didn't have the... There There was no return. I'm right, <laughs> was, right, right. Paris Hilton? No, no hero's journey. But um, is there an opposite to that?
2: Well, I mean, I think there is, and the way Joseph Campbell always talked about it was about fear. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He called it the refusal of the call. You know, so we've all got something that 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 our creative juices want out of out of this life. You know what I mean? And and a lot of us just spend uh, so much time wrestling with fear, we just don't ever take that first step into the into the pool. So he just calls that in his mind. That's just literally wasting this 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 little precious time we've been given. So you really see it in a lot of people's lives, really. Hmm.
1: Um, And now Joseph Campbell. What's his background? Is he a psy- he's a psychologist as well, or?
2: Uh, you know, he really has a there's, there's, there's a really some very really funny stuff in his background. So he's uh, so he's coming of age. He's a track star. Uh, he's kind of a real handsome, good looking guy, and he's real close to getting his doctorate, and he just can't do it anymore. Uh-huh. So he disappears into the woods and just reads for five years, I and mean, then just like, and then he hooks up with John Steinbeck. Uh, some hints that he may have slept with John Steinbeck's wife at some wow. point. Uh, and and there's, so there's this whole little group of them that from that era. Um, think of a couple more, but like sort of in California there. And, uh, and they're really a, a real fascinating sort of group of, of guys. And so he got a chance to really observe somebody, for instance, like Steinbeck's, the arc of his, of his story and of his life. And uh, it influenced him a lot. Mm-hmm. and so he started writing about he, he was at Sarah Lawrence College he started writing and talking about this and, um, and so there was a real famous interview with, with Bill Moyers where he talked about Star Wars because George Lucas based the whole thing on Joseph Campbell's work and so they, had, they interviewed them oh. together which is really fascinating
1: Wow, have you ever gotten to meet him?
2: Uh, I have not. He, you know, he died. Uh, boy, I want to say, you know, a little before my time. Late, late. I think eighty nine. Maybe he died. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, but maybe it was early nineties, but somewhere in there. And uh, so, no, unfortunately, I would have loved to.
1: How cool would that be to to be a psychologist and leave a legacy like you know, like Freud or Pavlov or 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 someone who's left like a lifetime of research that people point to in the future.
2: Yeah, oh, cool. it's a good question.
3: Yeah, yeah, that
1: would be so cool. <laughs> yeah,
3: where well, just your last name means something.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, totally. Man, I think about that all the time. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's funny because I asked—I've asked that to one of my mentors. I said, "What?" You know, because you know call just doesn't is not noteworthy at all. You know, and and he, and he told me he explained it to me like this. He said, "You have to have a kind of healthy narciss- narcissism where you believe." your way of doing something is better than everyone else, you know? And mm-hmm. it, it, the same idea applies to musicians and, and, and stuff, too. But you actually have to sort of believe that that what's out there is not good enough, and you have the answer of why your way is better. And there's a real, there's a real narcissism about that, you know? Yeah. But, so you have, you have to have some of that to, to sort of get to that level, I think.
3: Wow. That, that kind of leads me to a question I was thinking of. Speaking of narcissism, Oprah and... I don't know about Obama, you kind of have to be a little narcissistic to, to run for president and think you're good enough to run the country. Do you foresee them in the future ever having the other shoe drop and maybe having the tragic downfall that a, a lot of the other subjects that you wrote about had?
1: I'd love to see I, Oprah have that.
2: <laughs> I I think she Obama. is widely disliked in Chicago. She is really? not, not liked it at all. She's, a, she's a, in my opinion, a phony person, you know, yeah. and, and she... Uh, you know and you see the little things she does around it. yeah that that, that incident in Paris a few years ago where she uh, you know said it was racism because they wouldn't open the store you know 30 minutes after it was closed it's like Mm -hmm. talk about entitlement you know what about the people that are trying to go home from work you know
1: yeah and and the funny thing is is in paris they treat everybody like that you know i mean it wasn't like singling her out because she's black it's just because she's an idiot you know and then and then then what about i mean she says she says one thing about a book and 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 it will make the new york times bestseller list or she'll criticize something and all of a sudden its stock goes way down you know what is what is it with that i mean how come she has such a grip on on the way society moves
2: you know, I think it was, a lot of it was timing, you know. She was, uh-huh. she was an overweight woman. She was not what we were used to seeing on TV when she came along. Mm-hmm. And so you think about Middle America and sort of look like what they, you know, like she, she sort of stuck a real chord with that, you know. But she's mm-hmm. become something very, very different now. But I think, uh, you know, if you look at that, she, she sort of uh, cast the, the spell uh, years, years back, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, she was sued. Remember by the beef, um, the beef ranchers mm-hmm. in Texas. Yeah,
2: yeah. that's um, how she, that's she all met, met Doctor Phil. you read my mind. Oh
1: yeah, and we, we have we have to blame her for Doctor Phil too. I mean, mm-hmm. that idiot's <laughs> running loose because of her. <laughs> what, what's your opinion of Doctor Phil?
2: Oh, God, he's just a pompous ass who's probably set the field of psychology back
1: 50 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. he's like what Glenn Beck is to Republicans. I guess.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that soundbite sound psychology, you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. You remember Mort, Morton Downey back in the day that just he would change his opinion within within just seeing which way the, the wind was blowing in the crowd. Like, Dr. Exactly. Phil will do whatever. whatever yeah. will get the most applause for him at that moment, is what he'll say, you know? Yeah.
3: Now, you say you've seen uh, Oprah around town?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been on the show before. I mean, not Uh, as a guest, but, you know, being the artist.
3: Can I – I just want to make a guess. Does she drive a Hummer or a Mercedes (laughs) G-Wagon?
2: i don't think she drives <laughs> i don't think she does either i know she's got a couple places right in downtown chicago that limo yeah. if he's gonna limo it around there
1: now what about springer you're now he's a chicago person what, yeah, what are your thoughts on around. springer i think that's a good representation of like what i see a lot in texas you know but yeah, what, what do you yeah. think what, do you, what are your what's your opinion on the springer show
2: well, I mean, you gotta you gotta like the guy's background. He's mayor of Cincinnati. He's yeah. writing checks to hookers from the city. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you gotta like that right away. You yeah. know, his credibility is a little suspect. You know, and, uh, so I've seen him many times around Chicago with his uh, nieces and so forth. Like always, oh, some twenty-two year old dimbo, and you know, it's just it, oh, that's just,
4: funny.
2: It's almost as if he. I mean, it, it, I guess it's it fits that he's doing that show sort of from a character standpoint. You know, because yeah, of, but. Talk to uh,
3: talking about ego I actually went to school with his daughter I I was raised in Cincinnati and Mm -hmm. I went to school with his daughter who was handicapped and he insisted every year to come in and speak to the entire school and he said absolutely nothing for about an hour and 45 minutes every year.
1: Was he mayor at yeah. the time?
3: No, at this point he'd already been discredited as a mayor, but at that point he was... The... And
1: they still let him speak at the school. Well,
3: no, he'd, <laughs> repaired, his, he'd repaired his reputation, and he was uh, the NBC nightly news guy, local.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I think that the Springer show, I, I mean, I, I get a kick out of watching it. I think it's hilarious. I think it's a lot of it's probably set up, but... I think he's a good instigator. I think he's, yeah. he's definitely found his calling.
3: Yeah. I'm just afraid if there are aliens and they happen to get that, that beamed into their UFO <laughs> and they think that – I might think they just would, want to destroy us right off the bat.
1: Yeah, but better him than Glenn Beck or
3: Doctor. No, well I mean Still all of or... so us. Uh-huh. What if that's their representation of, of the human yeah, life?
1: Yeah.
2: That could be. It's it's really funny. I'll tell you, back in these days, it's comic. I I managed a nightclub in downtown Chicago for a while, and they would come from the show down to this big strip of bars in Chicago. So the same people that had been attacking each other on the stage earlier that afternoon would be out together, you know, having drinks (laughs) and stuff. So it was really, so yeah, he did sort of stick them on each other, but, you know, they sure went back to whatever little hole they called. When they yeah. got done
1: with the show. <laughs> oh, that's too funny, but um, now your other, you have other books on one on Alzheimer's, the stories of hope and courage, um, Alzheimer's disease. And Chris and I were talking about this before the show. My father actually had Alzheimer's, and his Chris's grandfather has has her had. I'm not sure if he's had. Alzheimer's. He was the
3: first person to die in Cincinnati of Alzheimer's. Wow.
2: And,
1: but um, so what what is your experience with Alzheimer's? Ha- have you do you deal with Alzheimer's patients
2: or i did per, i so so basically when when I, what I was describing earlier when Chris died, I decided to become a psychologist and one and i but i i wanted to keep entertaining people so uh-huh. w- how I made sense of that was I, I got a job in a nursing home as sort of the activity guy, so my job was basically to entertain the troops you know. And uh, and I loved it. It was the greatest job I've, I've ever had, uh, but also very, very, very heartbreaking and, and sad. But uh, it, it, it changed my life in so, so many ways. But yeah, I did work with. I spent a couple years doing that.
1: Wow, that's that's got to be hard though, because I I think that's probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was to to deal with my father. You know, yeah, and have I'm to make decisions that. for him. No, that's okay. It's just I I, I just I just can't imagine willing you know what it would be like to willingly work with people that you know there's really no hope for you know that would just be really depressing to
2: me yeah yeah especially in the later stages that's definitely true yeah Yeah.
3: I haven't kept up to date has there been any progression in any kind of treatment for Alzheimer's or is it still where we're at
2: 10 15 yeah, you you read that there's these breakthroughs on the way and so forth, but I, I don't know. You know, I mean, like, the, you, you, what you have is basically a brain that's falling apart, you know, so it's, mm-hmm. it's, in, and the damage has been done by the time they can detect it, and it's, it's, uh, it, it's sort of a curse, you know. You, some people find out in their 40s, and, and it's, man, what a, what a horrible cloud to have hanging over your head, you know, and, yeah. Uh, but there are things you can do, sort of, uh, uh, in the way you live that that can reduce your chain. On, you know I mean, keep learning, keep reading, keep challenging yourself to. You know, like there there are some things you can do: diet, exercise.
1: Yeah, that's. A, someone was telling me at work that she parks in a different spot every day because Alzheimer's runs in her family, and it just challenges her to remember where she parked.
4: <laughs>
1: Does that sound like a decent exercise? I mean, will that prevent me from getting Alzheimer's if I park in a different spot every
2: day? <laughs> you can head your bed for a little bit. I can't make that <laughs> promise to you. But
3: <laughs> I've heard if you don't smoke pot out of a, out of a pop can, it could help, too. because
2: <laughs>
1: Yeah, the aluminum can p- kill your brain.
2: Yeah, so. <laughs> weed and aluminum, yeah, you, you get the there for sure yeah
1: now, now do you still do you still see patients or are you are you solely an author now?
2: no, I do. I, I have a practice on the south side of Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. I do that a couple of days a week. Um, I, I love I mean you know it's just there's something about actually doing it that it just it's, it always provokes more stories, you know I mean that's mm-hmm. really what fascinates me the most is people's stories, so it, it's you know I, I guess sort of the lifeblood of, of, of being a writer mm
1: mm-hmm. What's your next book?
2: Uh, I'm almost done with it. Actually, it's uh, it's called The Substitute People. Um, mm-hmm. It's Do uh, you remember the movie Elizabeth Town? Yes. It, it's it's one of those movies that uh, kind of just came and went. No one really gave it. But I, I don't, It's one of those weird ones that I love. But um, there was a scene in this movie where um, Claire says to uh, I can't remember his name, but uh, that we're the substitute people. And this mm-hmm. meaning like we're we're always everybody's second choice. We're 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 not the one that people think of first. We're sort of the friend that people take advantage of, kind of thing. And and so that really got me thinking about how many people must feel like that. And it's something I've heard a lot in therapy. So I I decided to sort of tell the story and how it happens and what you can do about it.
1: Okay, now uh, you know what. Let me ask you one more question. I've, I've had in the back of my mind, what are your thoughts on um, serial killers? Like Charles Manson, Richard Ramirez, what, how, is that like sort of a hero's journey?
2: Well, it's a good question because and it's definitely been debated, it's like, is, is there such a thing as evil, or is it, or, or are they made, you know what I mean? And and you you do work with a sociopath, and I have with a couple, and there's, you wonder if neurologically or, or whatever, to be is there a piece missing there? Is there something mm-hmm. to identify, you know, but then you look in their stories a little bit and, and you see sort of like just what we were talking about, these reactions to the father, the react and like a lot of these things happen before the age of six, mm-hmm. the brain is, the brain has sort of got a template and if that template has been so badly damaged, uh, people, it's, it's very possible to be raised with no empathy whatsoever. You know, in fact, a lot of sociopaths are not serial killers they're dangerous, but you know like those that act out on it are the ones that we hear about the most mm-hmm.
1: hey, what's the difference between a sociopath and a and a psychopath
2: well i mean I, it, it's funny because the terms even people can't quite agree on the on the on the terms but i mean i and it's not called an antisocial personality disorder or whatever the d s m is just kind of a uh, like a chinese menu of psychological diagnosis but <laughs> uh it's i mean i I guess it would probably be just what I just said that a psychopath would actually you know like literally sort of do violence to others where a sociopath may or may not
1: right is now is there any way to de- to detect like a sociopath in my life every day
2: um well i mean.
1: I'm not saying about you, Chris, okay. but, I'm just, but it's like I, I just, I just, I think it's a lot more prevalent than people know. I really do because I, 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 I look with at you. some people and I think you're you're a complete sociopath, you know. But the, yet they've not done anything. You know, like, what was that girl from that band, TLC, that Lisa Left Eye Lopez, who... Yeah, she right. went nutty. Yeah, she, she burned, burned down her uh, boy. Yeah. 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 I
3: it mean, she did then some
1: then real crappy stuff, and yeah. I thought, that bitch is a sociopath right and She there. went <laughs> to
3: Honduras, and, and the whole country was looking for her, and she was in Honduras just hanging out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> whatever. But do you uh, think it's common...
2: It's, here's here's one I have a friend that just described it perfectly, but it's for men if find like like you want you want you want identify a sexually uh, a man that's gonna have the best chances sexually you'll have mm-hmm. three things uh for for a man anyway he has to be good looking mm-hmm. charming, and a pathological liar and if you have a man that has all three of those things, he will wreak havoc on the women in 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 his life and you you know I think we can all think of guys like that you know. And they do it just for sport, You're like with absolutely no sort of thought to someone else's feelings or how how you know what I mean. It just becomes more of a more of a game, you know. Right. Um, there was a famous test. Did you ever have you ever heard the? Uh, no, this is not true, and I will not back this up psychologically. But have you ever heard the little the little test? No. Okay, I'll give it to you. I'll see if you pass. Okay. 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 So. so, so uh, You you probably heard it. It, it, This is silly and don't take it seriously, but it's kind of funny. Um, So, you you, you go to your sister, you go to your mother's funeral, and while you're there, you you meet the man of your dreams. You know, like you guys just are totally in sync. You hit it off, uh, and you really think that he is going to be the great love of your life. Um, Mm -hmm. You go home the next day, and you kill your sister. Why?
1: It's her husband.
2: No, nope. that's a common. That's a common guess.
1: Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> I don't think you're a psychopath. Uh, go ahead, Chris. Because, so that there's
3: another funeral, so you can meet somebody. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> yeah.
1: so Chris. So Chris failed, or Chris passed? He's a sociopath.
2: I knew that too.
1: <laughs> ah, okay.
2: I've had a couple of friends that answered that immediately, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that, that sort of fits. With what, what I I like that. I like that. <laughs> it's sort well, of know, interesting. Th- try it out.
1: It's funny when you said if if a guy is a good looking and and a liar and a womanizer because my my father was actually discharged from the the military because he failed some psychological exam and they said he was a psychopath and that's why they let him out. (laughs) But but he fit those those three traits that you just gave. That was him to a T. That's amazing.
3: Now is that an honorable discharge or dishonorable?
1: Um, it was during World War II, so I don't know. I, I'm assuming because he lied so much, but I'm assuming it was a dishonorable <laughs> discharge. <laughs> but he was actually a a, a, a doctor and liked to st- study psychi- psychology as well. You know, so wow, he, he's a mess. But but it's funny that you, those traits. It's just amazing. So what are the, what, what traits in women?
2: Well, I mean, it's funny because women sort of have, you know, like you think of like the mean girls uh, scenario with, uh-huh. with women, you know, it's like, it's not like guys that, that, that physically smack each other. It's more like emotional violence, you know, and and um, I mean, I, you know, you just, you, 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 we probably can all think of a type that has that sort of Machiavellian quality that that that's just constantly sort of pitting people against each other. And it, it happens so naturally and it happens so easily for them. Uh, but they're they're, they're very... It, they wouldn't be the person you'd think because they're very polite and they're probably dressed nicely and, you know.
1: Right. Hmm. Interesting, because I have my suspicions about some of the women in my life, but I
2: won't
1: say. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, well, well, thanks for, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. This is um, Joe Guzzi, and that's G-U-S-E, and I found all of your books on Amazon.com. Right, do right. A, do you have a website?
2: Um, I have a ton of blogs. I probably have like seven or eight blogs right now. Um, so um, if, if you know, Google your name, with,
1: it'll probably come up,
2: huh? Yeah, totally, yeah. Yep.
1: Okay, that's G U S C. Anyways, thanks for joining us and thanks for listening, everybody.